Welcome you all to Sunday service. My name is Ananta, this is Maria, and we're Naya Swamis from Ananda Village. And uh, I'd like to welcome all of our visitors and guests. We have guests from some of our centers. We've had a big week. We've had the Mahasamadhi of Paramahansa Yogananda, Sri Yukteswar's Mahasamadhi, Shiva Ratri, and Naya Swami Brinde went home this week. So we'll have a Sunday service and we'll all celebrate um, this beautiful week that we've had. Well, our topic this week is reason versus intuition. This is from Rays of the One Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus, when addressing his critics, appealed to reason and common sense In his training of the disciples, however, he, like all great masters, encouraged in them the development of a higher faculty, soul intuition. For it is only by intuition that spiritual perceptions are achieved. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, we find Jesus drawing on the intuition of his disciples by asking them who they thought he was in reality. They immediately understood that what he wanted from them was a subtle answer, not some obvious reply based on his nationality, sex, and the like. Peter it was, at last, who understood and answered the question on its intended level, the spiritual. 
Thou art the Christ, he said, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to him saying, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for not by human nature was this truth revealed to thee, but by my heavenly father. And I tell thee this also, thou art Peter, which is to say a rock, and upon this rock will I build my church, and never will the powers of darkness overwhelm it. Jesus was pleased with his disciple for relating to the question on its deepest level. Reason could not have given Peter that answer. The answer came through the faculty of soul intuition and proved him thereby to be a spiritually advanced disciple. It was his intuitive perception, that insight which cannot be shaken by tempests of reasonable doubt, that Jesus praised in referring to him as a rock. The church he referred to next was the edifice of cosmic consciousness. Any outer church institution would have to depend, as in fact the Christian churches have always done, on the level of understanding of its individual leaders and members. Peter's intuitive perceptions could never have been passed on to an outward succession of prelates. Clarity comes by direct soul perception. Confusion results from excessive dependence on reason as the guide to understanding. As the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita states, when your intellect, at present confused by the diversity of teaching in the scriptures, becomes steadfast in the ecstasy of deep meditation, then you will achieve final union with God. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Hello, everyone. I'd like to begin with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is entitled, Make Me Silent that I may eloquently converse with thee. Wandering through forests of incessant searching, I arrived at the mystery door which conceals thy presence. I knocked loudly on this door of silence with persistent blows of faith. At last the door opened and I beheld thee resting on thy altar of glorious visions. I stood with restless gaze, waiting for thee to speak. Thy creation-making voice was inaudible. At last, a deep stillness stole upon me and taught me in whispers the language of angels. With the lisping voice of my newborn freedom, I tried to speak. Suddenly the lights in thy temple wrote brilliantly in letters of light. In my little chamber of quietness, I am ever at rest. I never speak now, but with the voice of silence. Through my silence, O divine lover, converse thou eloquently with me. 
So our topic today, reason versus intuition. Anant and I, a couple of days ago, were over at the Crystal Hermitage at the Moksha Mandir. And for those of you, um, perhaps just online, who don't know what this is, it's a temple that was built, El Mandir, a few years ago. Uh, the remains of Swami Kriyananda are there. And it's a temple um, that is otherwise uh, open to uh, everyone any time to come and meditate. It has a view over the Yuba River and the whole river canyon there and big, wide, tall windows. And we went there to meditate. And I had this service in the back of my mind, but I really wasn't planning on thinking about it. We were there to meditate. And before I began to meditate, I looked out at the view. It's, it's so exquisite. It has many moods and images, and the clouds oftentimes look like little wisps of fuzzy cotton out there just dangling over the trees, and so pretty. And uh, there was this turkey vulture out there, uh, a big bird, a scavenger bird. Um, those of you who are familiar, it's a, a bird that... Um, uses the currents of the air to stay aloft. doesn't beat its wings very often, um, if it doesn't need to, certainly. And I was watching this bird, and it was moving laterally across the canyon, and then it just started going up. And all this time that it was in my vision, it did not beat its wings once. And it just kept circling and circling and moving to the left, moving to the right, and then up and up and up. And finally, it spanned the, the vertical height of the window, and I couldn't see it anymore. But at a certain point, as I was watching it and looking at it, it dawned on me, and I thought, this is it. This is the difference between reason and intuition. Because when we're trying to, when we live in our mind, when we're trying to reason and figure everything out, we're just beating and beating and beating at the ether and the world, you know, trying to put it in a box and get it right. And it's a lot of work to do that, to construct a perception of the universe through our minds. It's, it's really taxing and it doesn't always come out right. But when we can just relax and spread out our wings, just relax into that higher consciousness, those currents just lift us naturally. And that's how intuition works. It just comes through very naturally, very organically. And because it's not beating at the universe, trying to figure everything out, it hears, and it intuits, and it channels, and it gets understanding. It understands what is real and what isn't. It can sort it out because there's not all of this struggle to mentally get it right. And this reading uh, this morning in the, in the rays, um, certainly one of my favorites, I imagine, of many of you, but it just so captures this essence of what intuition is of how it works, of how clear it is, of how real and true it is. And, you know, many people read this passage, many people read this passage, and they think that what Jesus is talking about, 
that he is planting this seed, build the church, create the new religion. And on a certain level, you know, he saw that he had to have. He saw his demise in the physical body. He saw past and future. Yogananda said he was an avatar. Uh, He had that vision. He had that knowledge of past, of future, of everything that would unfold, even to the particular, the individual disciple. And so he had to know that. But what he was really talking about, what Master really places at the core of this exchange is Peter using his intuition to perceive the depth, the scope of his guru, of this master, this great avatar. And it's such a sweet exchange. When you read it, it's, you just can't but help feel the devotional uh, nature of the relationship there, guru to disciple. This isn't something that's easily understood at the West, in the West. You know, by nature, we're much more intellectual. We're much more um, uh, perhaps even uh, judgmental or accusatory. Certainly, uh, we want to figure it out before we're going to say anything or, or qualify anything. And... Uh, You know, we look at the teacher, we look at the master, and we see the outside first. We see the way they're dressed. We see their gestures. We see their personality. We want something from them. And that's very different than the relationship of a student to a teacher, a guru in the East. By nature, in their spiritual culture, they perceive the world, they observe the world around them from the inside out. And it's a little bit of a project for us to learn that, uh, to come around to that way of teaching, that way of being that is born more, uh, centered more in the intuitive faculty within each one of us. When uh, Yogananda first came to this country, He was uh, living in a boarding house in Boston for about a year or so. And uh, he had just previously met the Lewises, Dr. and Mrs. Lewis. And on this particular day, uh, Dr. Lewis had an appointment with Yogananda, but he couldn't make it. And so he sent his wife, Mildred, with a note to explain why he couldn't come. Well, it was nighttime, it was cold. She said it was about zero out. You know, it was freezing cold. And here she was, you know, um, her relationship with Yogananda was certainly very new too, and she didn't really know what she thought of him. And, uh, but she, on her husband's behalf, took this note. And as she was waiting for the streetcar, uh, there was a little candy shop there, And she went in and she bought a box of chocolates. And she arrived at the boarding house, uh, just very cold, anxious to be able to just step into a warm environment for a moment. A lady came to answer the door, asked what she wanted. She said she was there to see Yogananda. And the lady said, just a minute, and closed the door in her face. She just left there on the porch, you know, freezing. And Yogananda comes to the door, And she explains that she has this note from her husband, Dr. Lewis, and she gives him this box of candy, and then she departs. But before she departs, she sees 
when she gives him this candy that his eyes just fill with tears. And she wonders at this. And sometime later she realizes, she comes to know that whenever you see the guru, you always bring some kind of gift. Well, here was Yogananda in this strange land, uh, foreign land as a foreigner. And he was so moved that Divine Mother worked through this student in this way and you know it, it was showed this this kindness but people looked at him and again from the outside you know orange turban orange robes odd shoes you know just completely different than anything they had seen and people many just couldn't really take him seriously and didn't take him seriously even students and ultimately even disciples struggled with trying to just figure out who this person was, who this person is. And as long as we're trying to operate through reason, through the mind, there's always this element of confusion. Swamiji was in hearing of one of the disciples once, and this disciple said, just when I think I have figured him out, I realize that he is so much greater. And Swamiji, he thought, why would you even try to figure him out? You know, again, just that point, we can't figure out through our minds the nature of such a one. It's impossible. You know, the other disciples in the reading, other people, they called Jesus all manner of things trying to get a handle on who he was, what he represented, what he was trying to do. And no one, not many, could get it for that very reason. And so here Swamiji is saying that, again, to develop this intuitive awareness and allow yourself to just go with that and expand with that and feel and open to the consciousness that is coming through the great ones like this. When uh, Yogananda was one time, uh, he was uh, in the ashram, in Yukteswar's ashram, and some of the other disciples were complaining about how difficult it is to understand Yukteswar. And they were going on and on about this and that. And Yogananda said, you know, they said, we can't understand him. What is he doing? And uh, what does he want? And Yogananda said, neither can you comprehend God. He said, when you are able to understand a saint, you will be one. And so, again, in this exchange, we are given an insight into how to understand uh, the master, how to understand the guru. I wanted to read... Uh, a passage from autobiography in this regard. And this is from um, Years in My Master's Hermitage. And this is Yogananda speaking. He said, I always thrilled at the touch of Sri Yukteswar's holy feet. Yogis teach that a disciple is spiritually magnetized by reverent contact with a master. A subtle current is generated. 
the devotee's undesirable habit mechanisms in the brain are often disturbed, oops, are often cauterized. The groove of his worldly tendencies beneficially disturbed. Momentarily, at least, he may find the secret veils of Maya lifting and glimpse the reality of bliss. My whole body responded with a liberating glow whenever I knelt in Indian fashion before my guru. Again, to read that passage, as with the reading today, you can just feel that devotional heart-to-heart exchange between the disciple and the guru. And again, that's where clarity comes from. That's where true knowledge and wisdom come from. Yogananda said, if you bow in reverence, and you know, this is outside of the guru being in the body or not. It really has nothing to do with that. If inwardly we offer ourselves to the guru and he says, hold the desire strongly to establish a deep relationship with God, then we open the channel for those blessings, that insight, that divine wisdom to come. When Yukteswar was in his guru's ashram, when he was with Lahiri, he said oftentimes there would just be silence, nothing said. But he said, even in that silence, he was able to feel tangibly the blessings of knowledge and wisdom being transmitted from his guru to him. This was Lahiri Mahashai to Sri Yukteswar. One of the uh, Yogananda students asked him one time, how is it that Rajasi Janakananda has advanced spiritually so quickly. And Yogananda simply said, he listens. So that says a lot. Beyond the words, beyond the teachings, beyond the scripture, it's really about developing our capacity to listen and to inwardly hear. And what we do hear outwardly, what we do read outwardly of scripture, what we do hear the master say to internalize this, to take it inside, to assimilate it, to allow it to percolate through, as Yogananda said, the very atoms of our being. That's where realization takes place on a cellular level. It's, it's, it's beyond form. It's in everything. And we need to tune into that more deeply. Uh, Swamiji, he was able many times in his life to spend time with the great saint Anandamoy Ma, whom... Uh, Yogananda wrote about in his autobiography. And many were the exchanges outwardly and, and also in silence. In fact, when he was first there in her ashram, he insisted on sitting at the back. He didn't want to stand out. He didn't want to even introduce himself or say he was here. He had come from far away, wanted to meet her, this kind of thing. He just sat back there. But she knew he was there. And later she did call him up. And it was always like that, a very uh, inward flow of consciousness between the two. And Anandamai Ma said of Swami, he, um, she said, um, none have attracted me as you have. She said, I've been with thousands of people and none 
have attracted me in the way you have. And the translator kept emphasizing this word, none, none, none. And, you know, those of us who know Swamiji, if you read about his life, if you try to tune in, he's not here in the body, but he's very present. You can feel that inwardness, that connection of his consciousness to the guru. It is very palpable. It's very deep and uh, it's very inspiring. And uh, I encourage you to tune into it. Swamiji said, look to the saints who are in relationships, seeking relationship with God. Look to them. Don't try to be like them in the sense of what they do outwardly, but look to what is going on there on an inner level and try to feel that. Try to get in touch with that and nurture that in your own self. Ma said also of Swamiji, she said, many people have been with this body 20 years or so around me all of the time and none have taken from me what Kriyananda has. So just a very, uh, a very receptive, intuitive longing to be close to God. And that is a very powerful, powerful magnet. One more thing that she said, I'll just share. Um, She said, think of the lotus flower. Many frogs sit under the lotus croaking. And then a bee comes along and because of its nectar, Kriyananda is that bee. So we are lucky to someone heard those words and recorded them for us because that's really the most important aspect in the guru-disciple relationship, that ability that Peter showed in this reading to listen, to inwardly listen, to feel, and as a consequence to know what is real, what is not real. One more story I'd just like to share was uh, Swamiji uh, said of his early time with Yogananda. And he was there at 29 Palms uh, at Yogananda's desert retreat. And there were some other uh, of the brothers there as well. There wasn't much room, and the brothers were uh, sleeping on the floor in the living room. They had set up their sleeping bags. And Swamiji woke up in the middle of the night, and he was filled with a divine presence He felt the divine so close, so palpable. And he got up and he started to meditate. And after a while, he looked out the window and he saw Yogananda there. And he went out and he knelt at his feet. Again, just that inner knowing and what gives us the potential to be in that space, in that consciousness, is that as much to the best of our ability, we try to live in that divine presence all of the time. We try to feel it around us. We try to see it in our guru bias. We try to feel it flowing through us in activity. In the purification prayer that we uh, do every Sunday here before service, a part of that says, the master says, open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. And this has meaning on a lot of levels. Our life is guided to be sure. Our life is blessed to be sure. But the master's thoughts become our thoughts. 
The master's feelings become our feelings. Ultimately, the master's consciousness becomes our consciousness. That's what is possible when we open our hearts, when, like that bird uh, I was watching the other day, when we just spread our wings, open our heart, and just let God lift us, open up to that, and let it's, it's, it's an effortless experience that emerges from the open heart. Thank you. Lord Most High, our Heavenly Father, all our lives we dedicate to Thee. Strong.